So, John, if you had an imaginary friend, tell me about them. What'd their name be? Where would you keep them? Well, first of all, you say if, as if I don't already. Ah, I spend many hours having great conversations with the uh, pixie named Bronwyn who lives in my anus. (laughs) That's an awful thought. (laughs) Oh, I'm thinking of the colour of the hair. She seems happy. (laughs) You sure? Have you offered her someone else? (laughs) Hey, it's clean and the rent is cheap. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, a podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to one-off movies that don't have any. I'm Harry, and joining me as always is John. Hello. And finally, just back to a normal episode. No themed episodes, no guests, nothing, just your standard episode. Just the two of us. Yeah. Feels good. For the last time for a month. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this week it's The Shining. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it was my choice, wasn't it? It was your choice, so why did you choose The Shining? I chose it because it's been on my watch list for a long time because I've known that it's one of those cinematic greats that everybody should have seen. Um, well, I kind of like Stanley Kubrick's other work. I can appreciate him as a definite standout director. And having never seen this film before, I really wanted to before I just had any more of it spoiled for me. Because there were a few bits already, but there was still there was still a lot of this film which was completely brand new to me, which kind of helped me maybe understand some pop culture references that have, that have been... Yeah, I was going to say, because I was wondering, because I know on another podcast that you do, uh, Be A Pizza Movie, you did an, an episode on Citizen Kane. I oh, yeah. you saying that you found that film really boring, because I think, well, obviously it's an older film as well. I think Much older, older than this. But yeah. also, it's one of those films that's been referenced so much that almost the original, I think some, if you watch it from a 2017 perspective, the original has lost a lot of its impact, because mm-hmm. every, every every innovative thing it's done has been redone and referenced and done. Over, yeah. So I guess this is somewhat similar in some ways, because it's... There are so many parts of this film that get referenced and parodied and spoofed and copied in other films. So mm-hmm. what what bits made you go, oh, that's from this? Or... Uh, well, kind of a little bit with the twins. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like I always knew that that was from this film. I knew that they were a thing because that wasn't like a, a big reveal or anything. Mm-hmm. The murder thing. Or the, or Red the, Rum. Red Rum, yeah. That was completely brand new to me. Okay. But that feels familiar. I think I might have seen that in like a Simpsons episode or something. Did you find it scary? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched it by myself, mostly in the dark, uh, while ironing. <laughs> of course. Um, I dropped the iron a lot of times. I need some new shirts. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's, it's quite a scary film. It is, isn't it? Yeah. I am surprised you haven't seen it in many ways, because A, it's one of the films that everyone has seen. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm just given what you've told me about your childhood experiences in past episodes, I'm surprised that there's no point when your mum didn't just put you in a darkened room at the age of five, put the VHS on and go, well, enjoy. <laughs> nah, nah, that was clockwork. Oh, of course, well, okay, yeah. What were the scariest scenes for you? What bits freaked you out the most? I think it was probably just every sort of realisation scene of, oh my God, Redrum has been murdered this whole time. And yeah, okay. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. He's like, oh my god, he's not been writing a book the whole time. He's just been mental this entire film. That's a good reveal. That's really good and creepy. Mm. But again, I can't remember when I first saw that and didn't know what that, that was coming. So, mm-hmm. For me... I the mean, only thing I knew was coming was, here's Johnny. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's, that's the only one. <laughs> Which I found very underwhelming when it came. Because mm. I guess there was just so much, in my head, there was so much build-up to it. Because that was just the one thing that I knew from this film was certain of. And it's the cover of the film. And it's mm. referenced everywhere. And... 
it was just fine. It's a weird line, yeah, because it wasn't in the script. It, it was an ad lib that Jack Nicholson did in that moment that they decided mm-hmm. to keep in. He was referencing an American talk show host called Johnny Carson, mm-hmm. who I think would be introduced every episode as he is Johnny. So it was a cultural reference at the time. But yeah, it, it, it feels weird in that scene because that scene is so terrifying, you know, when he's at, he got taken the axe to the door and they're mm-hmm. on the other side and she can't get out the window. And then that line just feels like it breaks it a little bit. It's like he, he goes for a laugh and it's mm-hmm. it's it's an iconic moment with that, the face and the, the line and everything. Mm-hmm. But it does feel a little bit like it breaks the moment for me. So I agree, it's not one of the scarier moments for me. Although that whole build up to it certainly is. But that mm-hmm. the line itself is a bit like, oh, I guess that's the line. Yeah. Did Johnny Carson keep it afterwards? I don't know. I don't know if the show had already ended by that point. He, I know okay. he was like a very old... I don't know American talk shows that well. Maybe mm. one of our American listeners can tell us what the timeline was. Cause it'd be great if somebody did it and poked their head through the door and just said, nice to see you. To see, see you. Nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, this had been a British film, that's what uh, yeah. it would have been. Yeah. If they were still making carry-on films at that point, I'm sure they would have done it. <laughs> Here's Johnny. For me... What this film does really well is ratchets up tension. Mm-hmm. And it's this constant creeping like sense of dread from the beginning right up to the very end. Mm. And it doesn't let up. And mm-hmm. what I appreciate about this film is that even though it's two and a half hours long, so mm-hmm. it's not a short film by any means, it does manage to keep that forward momentum so it gets more tense and more tense. And there's mm-hmm. not, I didn't really detect any real boring bits, any, any massive lulls. No, like, no. And then when it ends, it ends. Like, it ends oh yeah, there's nothing afterwards. Yeah, it's I, like, I love in a film. Mm, same, like they escape smash cut he's frozen to death mm-hmm. and you get that creepy reveal where he's in the photograph at the end mm-hmm. but you, you don't see Wendy and Danny driving away you don't see their recovery there's mm-hmm. no, which you don't need like because it's all yeah what's the point yeah I love that And but even from the very first scene I'd forgotten I think the score is incredible oh god yeah so creepy like because the opening scene it's like a three minute you almost get the full opening credits mm. the, but you get like a three minute that's just them driving and you're just literally following a car along some landscape and it could just as easily be playing anything and not be a scary scene you could have that exact scene just have like you know on the road again playing or something really jaunty and it'd be like okay someone's driving somewhere Mm -hmm. but because it's got that droning horrible score that that sound it's like Mm -hmm. is it like a it's like a brass isn't it it sounds like a tuba or something yeah and then there's like some other birds or people screaming I couldn't tell what it was and I think the fact that you can't quite tell what it is Mm -hmm. is deliberate and adds to it but and throughout the whole film, that soundtrack that keeps coming back and building and building is really, really good. It's a very atmospheric film, I would say. Definitely, yeah. But bits that stick out to me are, um, yeah, the little girls. The, the scene where he is on the the Steadicam shot where he's on his little tricycle. Yeah. And he sees them and then it's intercut with these, like, it's almost subliminal, intercut with scenes of them standing there and scenes of them literally lying in, in mm-hmm. a pool of blood. And it's really scary. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's so quick, it doesn't linger on the shots. Mm. It's even scarier, I think. Very Stanley Kubrick mm. style of making films, I guess. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a lot of Space Odyssey in, in that point because was the ending of that film was very sort of just showing clips of different things. Mm. It reminded me a lot of Sunshine as well. Yeah, I was thinking that. I would imagine Danny Boyle was inspired by um, Stanley Kubrick in that sense because it it's a very effective way of building fear and mm. 
uncertainty. But yeah, what did you think of the performances then? Like, first of all, like obviously Jack Nicholson. I know you wanted to see this because after we watched Witches of East Street, you decided yeah. you wanted more Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. What What did you think of him in in the role? Well, I couldn't picture anybody else mm. at all. The scariest thing about him was just his face. <laughs> yeah. like the shape of his face and his hairline. And there was one bit where they were just cycling through some days, and he was just there writing. There was one of them that w- they just cut to a day that was just him, just like staring out of the window. His oh wife, yeah, his wife and kid with just look on his face, and he's gro- he's not shaven, and he just looks terrible and terrifying at the same time. And then it just cuts to like two weeks later, and that's it. That's all you get of that. Mm. I don't think even he blinks once in that scene. That's what makes it really scary. It's mm. this complete stillness. Yeah, it's interesting because this is based on a book by Stephen King. Mm-hmm. He famously hates this film. Yeah. Because his book was very different. And he felt that Jack Nicholson was the wrong choice because in the book, the character's a lot more sympathetic. And he felt that Jack Nicholson is the kind of actor who's too inherently sinister for you to ever not think he's going to be a wrong one. Mm-hmm. I don't know, did you have any sympathy for him particularly or was he just a monster? No, at no point that I have sympathy for him because... We find out that six months before the start of this film, he had an alcohol problem and be his child. Mm. So, no, there was nothing that could give me sympathy for him at this point. Yeah, and I think that's... Obviously, it's different from the book, and I can see why Stephen King had a problem with it, but I like that. I think it's a really good story of like this abusive relationship. You can sense that he is struggling in certain... There are certain scenes when he has the nightmare, and then he's really tearful. So I don't think, I don't think he's like a straightforward monster in this film, but I think he does have, obviously have a lot of remorse, as a lot of abusive people do feel bad after they've been abusive. It doesn't excuse the action, but... Mm-hmm. So I think I had this real sense that, yeah, there's a side of him that's aware of his behaviour, but there's also a much more powerful side of him, which is very much leaning into kind of being abusive and obviously doesn't love his wife at all. Mm. He was so like dismissive and abusive to her for the entire film. Get a lot written today? Yes. Hey, weather forecast said it's going to snow tonight. What do you want me to do about it? Oh, come on, hon. Don't be so grouchy. I'm not being grouchy. I just want to finish my work. Okay, I understand. I'll come back later on with a couple of sandwiches for you, and maybe you'll let me read something then. Wendy, let me explain something to you. Whenever you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're distracting me. And it will then take me time to get back to where I was. Understand? Yeah. Fine. And we're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, whether the fuck you hear me doing in here when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. Now, do you think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? What did you think of her? Because she's a very divisive character. A lot of people don't like her performance. They don't like her in the film. How did you feel about her watching it? Her acting was quite extreme. Mm. <laughs> and so was everybody's. Yeah. And I guess that, well, it was weird that even though she was the most normal, she was supposed to be the most normal character, she was the only sane one in the film. Yeah. But uh, her acting was just as extreme as, as the other people's. Yeah, a lot of people find her style of acting, Shelley Duvall's, irritating and then feel that she was too much and she was a little bit, maybe a little bit hammy and a little bit irritating. But I, I mean, And that's a valid opinion. But I actually really like what she does in this film because 
as I said, I think it's a really interesting look at an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. I think this a lot of this film is a metaphor for like domestic abuse and this kind of thing. And I think the fact that it doesn't make her like your typical horror movie victim. At no point is she ever sexualized. Mm-hmm. She's not a very strong character. She's she is actively quite irritating. And you can see why her behaviour and her presence would annoy him. Because I feel like you get this sense that he considers himself to be more intelligent than her. Mm-hmm. And whenever she says anything, she's obviously she's trying to be nice and she's trying to be supportive, but it just winds him up more because it feels like she's kind of stating the obvious all the time. Like when he, he talks about struggling with his writing and she'll say something like, oh, it's just a case of turning up and doing it every day. And he's like, yes, Wendy, that's exactly what it is. And like you can sense that she's driving him insane. I think the way they played that was really interesting because I don't think you see that very often. Normally you'll see a horror movie final girl because I guess if she is as close to a final girl in this film as you'll get, yeah. like the survivor, they'll normally be quite, they'll be the, the sexy young girl who, you know, fights back and outwits the villain. And she's not that. She's just a normal person. And you can really believe that she's just an ordinary woman who loves her son, is in this situation and is just trying to first make the best of it and then survive it as the situation mm-hmm. goes along. So I like it, but I, I, as I say, a lot of people do find her to be hard to warm to which is understandable well did you hear about some of the nightmares they had with production yes yeah well that's the other thing she spoke afterwards about the film and said it was a nightmare for her because the actress I mean because Stanley Kubrick was very hard on her on set mm. and again this is the kind of thing where you think well maybe it's, he got the performance he wanted out of her film, but it, it, does it border on kind of abusive behaviour he made her do the one scene with the bats over 300 times or something ludicrous wow. where, so she was completely physically exhausted and mm. emotionally exhausted and on edge and I think that's why her performance is extreme because as a person, the actress is so stressed out and is so exhausted and it shows in the performance. Stay away from me. Why? I just want to go back to my room. Why? Well, I'm very confused. I just need a chance to think things over. You've had your whole fucking life to think things over. What good's a few minutes more gonna do you now? Yeah. Stay with me! Please! Should we get some drinking games? Uh, yeah, what, do you, what have you got? So my first one is drink whenever you jump out of your skin purely because of the music. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and there's like, nothing else going on other than the music and it mm, makes you jump. Yeah. Well, exactly that scene that you mentioned where Jack Nicholson's looks staring out the window, it's because it cuts to that and it's like, boom. Mm. There's always like those big boom mm-hmm. sounds and you're like, oh dear God, yeah. There was one that happened like that. All he did was just rip a page out of the typewriter. Yeah. That's the only thing that happened. <laughs> like, it's not scary. <laughs> and that was not a surprise at all. Like, it was a long, lingering shot and then he just does that and mm. made me jump out my skin and burnt a shirt. I would like to see a recut version of this film that's just scored to something really like jaunty and upbeat. Parts of the Caribbean. Exactly, because so much <laughs> of it does come from the music. It's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did, again, like I said, I did think the opening scene, I could so imagine it being like, you know, King of the Road or just something really jaunty and fun that would make it not scary at all. Because it's mm-hmm. a lovely landscape that they're showing. Mm, yeah. But just because of the music, you're like, oh, God, this is terrifying. Bad things are going to happen. Uh, okay, so my one is this would get you really nice and drunk for the first hour of the film. Is you drink every time there's a red flag that this is a terrible, terrible idea. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I was thinking that. The main one for me was um, oh, so this kid's definitely got multiple personality disorder, but nobody can actually diagnose it, and he's clearly having a hard time. He doesn't know who he is. The dad's been abusive to him, and is a recovering alcoholic. 
Would it be a good thing for this family? Oh yeah, th- six months of seclusion. Yeah, ex- <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, there's so many things like that. And it, also in the interview at the beginning when Jack Nicholson's being introduced to the job, and it's like, so you know, you'll be completely alone for six months. The roads are going to close. There's literally no way out. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, the last guy went nuts and murdered his entire family. <laughs> you, you cool with that? You cool? Oh, and did I mention it's, it's built on an ancient Indian burial ground as well? But you're okay yeah. with that, right? And he's like, sure. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> it's like, no, run, run for the hills. I don't suppose they uh, told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970? I don't believe they did. Well, uh, my predecessor in this job hired a man named Charles Grady as the winter caretaker. And he came up here with his wife and two little girls, I think about eight and ten. And he had a good employment record, good references. And from what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point during the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and uh, <laughs> killed his family with an axe. Stacked them neatly in one of the rooms of the West Wing, and uh, then he... Uh, he put uh, both barrels of a shotgun in his mouth. Police, uh, they thought that it was what the old timers used to call cabin fever, kind of claustrophobic reaction, which can occur when people are shut in together over long periods of time. Well, that is uh, quite a story. Would you take that job, if offered? Well, if, if I had a better home situation, if, you know, if no. my son wasn't going insane and I wasn't a recovering alcoholic, yeah. then, yeah. yeah. Five months of complete solitude in the mountains. Yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> Just listen to loads of podcasts, catch up on with TV. Yeah, I was thinking about how I would take this job under different circumstances. <laughs> yeah, if I had internet, great. Yeah. No internet, though. No internet? If I, could, if I could take a laptop with lots of film and TV, doable. Yeah, I think doable. you'd have it. How long before you went crazy? The power went out. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> About three hours. <laughs> Physically, it's, it's not a very demanding job. The only thing that can get a bit trying up here during the winter is uh, the tremendous sense of isolation. Well, that just happens to be exactly what I'm looking for. I'm, uh, I'm outlining a new writing project, and uh, five months of peace is just what I want. That's very good, Jack. Because uh, for some people, uh, solitude and isolation can, of itself, become a problem. Not for me. How about your wife and son? How do you think they'll take to it? They'll love it. Right. Drink for every time there's a time jump. Oh, yeah. Because they're all over the place. Also, they make no sense. Yeah. They'll say something like, one month later, and then it'll be like Tuesday. Yeah. Then it'll be like tomorrow, three yeah. hours later. There's no sense of how much time is actually passing because it's, mm. it's Tuesday as opposed to when? Like, yeah. As opposed to the previous Monday? Or is that yeah. two weeks? It's two, and it's, it throws you off. And it's genius. And it's almost funny, but it's, mm. yeah. It's good. I like that a lot. That's really, really good. Yeah. So every time one of those title cards, just do a good shot. Yeah. Similar to my last one, but just drink for bad parenting. <laughs> terrible, terrible parenting. Mm-hmm. Mostly from him, although she, to to agree to it on her part. Yeah, for her not to say anything. That's yeah. bad parenting mm-hmm. in itself. 
I thought that scene with the doctor where she talks about how he broke his son's arm was really interesting again. I think that was her best acting in the film for me when she's doing that classic thing of like apologising for the abuser. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, he, he didn't mean to, he just pulled his arm too hard. Everyone does it, it's fine. And he hasn't drunk since, so everything's cool. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really quite true to life for those kind of situations a lot of the time. I, I thought, it, again, I thought it was great, added an interesting side to the film that she's kind of a little bit complicit in it, but mostly because I think she's in denial and she's trying to mm-hmm. um, hold her family together. Yeah. And you do, I really got the sense that he didn't love her at all. What I imagine what probably happened is that they were together for a short period of time and then he got her pregnant and then did the right thing and married her and feels like she's wasted, she's ruined his life. Mm. That was the vibe I got from the film, the sense mm-hmm. that he doesn't... I mean, at one, at one point, he's at the bar mm-hmm. and he refers to her as the old sperm bank, which yeah. is just so gross oh, and disgusting and horrible. And <laughs> I was like, that poor woman. Mm. Yeah, that was... Mm. That, that wasn't nice at all no so yeah I think any bad parenting moments from him obviously there's um, taking him there in the first place leaving him alone he's left alone so much like, he is isn't he <laughs> constantly it's like oh yeah. where's Danny oh he's somewhere in this hotel this massive hotel full mm-hmm. of things that may kill him I never laid a hand on him god damn it I didn't I wouldn't touch one hair on his goddamn little head. I love the little son of a bitch. (laughs) I'd do anything for him. Any fucking thing for him. But that bitch, as long as I live, she'll never let me forget what happened. I did hurt him once, okay? It was an accident. Completely unintentional. Could have happened to anybody. And it was three goddamn years ago. Drink for face acting. Face acting, ooh, yeah. Yeah, just acting where it's just zoomed in on somebody's face mm-hmm. and they're just making a face. Mm-hmm. And that's the scene. Yeah, no, they all do it. Several. Mm, well, there's, there's obviously the little kid, Danny. There's lots of scenes of him when he's seeing, you presume psychically, what's happening somewhere else in the film. And you see him just like rocking back and forward and he's mm-hmm. he's drooling and he's screaming and his mouth's like that portrait of the scream. And yeah, Jack Nicholson obviously does a lot of very good face work. Yeah. You know, here's Johnny and just that, that scene where he's standing there. Mm-hmm. And she has a really interesting face and does a lot with it as well. So mm-hmm. like again, with, with the axe where he's cutting through the door and her absolute terror which, again, people criticise. People say she was overacting in that scene. But I think, how would you react if someone was coming at you with an axe? I think, she's, I think <laughs> yeah. she gives a justifiably freaked out performance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'd say probably take a, take a sip for every face acting. Yeah, you moment. might you might die otherwise. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, there's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah. My last one is, drink when Wendy states the obvious. Okay, so that's... Just, again, every time she speaks, especially to Jack, she'll say... <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I think this is the character, but this is the thing. Like, she's kind of quite down-homey and, and sweet and sim- a simple soul. But there's lots of times when she'll be like, oh, this weather we're having, eh? Or, oh, it's cold. Or how's, your, how's the writing, hon? And it's just... You can see, as I say, you can, you can see why she needles at him because mm-hmm. she's trying so hard to, like, force conversation and do the right thing, but she kind of inadvertently does the wrong thing by doing that all the time, which mm-hmm. I found... A little bit poignant, but also, yeah, it, it happens a lot where she just says stuff that's like, she's not the greatest conversationalist in the world, bless her. Like, I really found the scene where she radios the local sheriff, mm-hmm. kind of funny and really sad at the same time. What, because she just can't make conversation? Yeah. yeah it's just, it was just I, I, kind of, I got that too. Yeah, you could just sense that, like, it's funny because she's just being so banal, but also, like, it's sad, she's obviously so lonely. And she, it's just the constant, like, yeah, it's really cold up here. Over. 
Any chance you could fix those phone lines? Over. <laughs> it's just really like stilted and staccato. Yeah. <laughs> it made me laugh, but I was also like, oh, bless you. <laughs> you just need a friend. <laughs> Hi, this is Wendy Torrance at the Overlook Hotel. Hi, how are you folks getting on up there? Over? Oh, we're just fine. But our telephones don't seem to be doing too well. Are the lines down by any chance? Over. Yes, quite a few of them are down due to the storm. Over. Any chance of them being repaired soon? Over. Well, I wouldn't like to say. Most winters, they stay that way until spring. Over. Boy, this storm is really something, isn't it? Over. Oh, yes, it's one of the worst we've had for years. Is there anything else we can do for you, Mrs. Torrance? Over. I suppose not. Over. Well, if you folks have any problems up there, just give us a call. And Mrs. Torrance... I think it might be a good idea if you leave your radio on all the time now. Over. Okay, we'll do that. It was real nice talking to you. Bye. Over and out. We haven't talked about the other character in this film. The oh, other... the cook. Yeah, O'Hallorahan, I think he's called. Mm-hmm. Played by Scatman Crivers, which is a great name. Wow. <laughs> Say that again? Scatman Crivers. Nice. Fabulous name. What do you think of him? I thought he was good. Um, he came in just at the point where I realised black people in this like oh there he is working in the kitchen okay he was good actually i quite like i quite liked his characteristic and he was a bit exposition but he kind of needed it when oh he was totally a plot device because yeah like worst rescue attempt in the world yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) he was only there really to explain danny's psychic power and then also to give them an escape vehicle at the end. Because yeah. he drives up in the, the second snowcat thing. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, yeah, what does he do? He gets a plane from Detroit, wherever he is, mm-hmm. drives up the mountain, walks into the hotel, immediately gets axed in the stomach and dies. Mm-hmm. Like, he really doesn't help at all. No. But he's I loved his bedroom, though. Did you clock his bedroom when he's watching TV? Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, the scene where he's left the hotel is when he starts picking up on Danny's distressed call, or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. He's just slouched on his one bed. He's watching some TV show, and there's two massive portraits of like naked black women on. Um... Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. How could I forget that? <laughs> yeah, I saw that because like you see, it was a very slow reveal of the first one of those portraits. At least I think you see like just her hair first, and yeah, I was like, hands up, that yeah. is an afro, mm-hmm. and I was like, John's going to talk about that like, oh she's naked as well all oh, right great great oh there's two of them oh lovely <laughs> that's his decor i aspire yeah. to that level of like old age seediness like i hope when i'm not in my early hundreds however old he is in this film like i've just got a little tiny little pokey bedroom of just like big pictures of naked guys all over the place just like yeah this is how i choose to live my life <laughs> oh lovely mm. That's another thing we haven't touched on, though, is that there's a lot of weird sexual imagery in this film. One of the famous ones is the woman in the bath. Oh, yeah. What did you make of that? It was a bit freaky, wasn't it? <laughs> just a touch, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was not quite scared by it, but it was just sort of like, oh, right, okay, that's weird. Mm, to be just... fair, we've all had smoke for your regret. True, we have, yeah. <laughs> that's beer goggles for you. It's, like, it's the first time he drinks, isn't it? So yeah. It's just, it's just beer goggles, that's all it is. It's just an allegory for beer goggles. But then the other thing is where Wendy's running around the hotel and seeing all the scary shit, like she sees the, the blood coming through the elevator. Yeah. And then she sees the, I think she sees the little girls at some point, maybe. She definitely sees the body of O'Hara the cook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she also runs up the stairs and sees a middle-aged man getting a blowjob from a man dressed as a dog. <laughs> what was that? What, where did that come from? I don't know, but I loved it. Of course you did. <laughs> for, what, for what was going on there? 
I think it was just supposed to be another <laughs> surreal, freaky, like unset- unsettling, because Kubrick's great at really unsettling images. Like, well, there were no other characters there. I think it's supposed to be like these. She's seeing all of the ghosts. Right. So you've obviously got the ghosts of the murdered. Also, twins. why are they doing it with the door open? Well, I guess that's the thing. It's but she's seeing all the things that've been hidden. So may- maybe at some point, someone with a fetish for fairyism is a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe at some point, some guy stayed in a hotel and did in fact get a blowjob from a guy dressed as a dog. Maybe they died. Who knows? And then they've been haunting that hotel. I don't know. I don't think you need to think too much about it. I love that kind of weird stuff that isn't isn't explained, but it's just super creepy. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed it. Cool. So, sequels? Yes. Am I first? You first? I think I'm first this week. Okay. Okay. So, this is this is another tough one. I feel like this is a tough week. It's a really week. tough one. It's a really tough one because it's a very self-contained film. Yeah, and you really can't expand it. No. Uh, so, first of all, I should mention that uh, Stephen King actually did write a sequel to the book mm-hmm. called Doctor Sleep. Doctor Sleep. Yeah, obviously he's disavowed the film, so this is very much a sequel to his book in which the Jack Nicholson character is a lot more sympathetic. It's the book called The Shining as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. But in the book, essentially, I've not read it, but I think essentially the Jack Nicholson character is somewhat more sympathetic, still dies at the end, but sacrifices himself, blows up the hotel, so his wife and child can escape. So they still escape. So the the bare bones are about the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in the second book, Doctor Sleep, Danny is now in his 40s, the Mm -hmm. son, and apparently he teams up with a cat that can sense when people are about to die. Ooh, okay, this sounds... (laughs) Awful. Yeah, I know. And maybe, maybe it's better on the on the page. I've not read it, but okay. yeah, this, this synopsis makes it sound kind of crappy. So um, if anyone's read it, let us know. Readers, is this a good book? We'd love to know. Yeah, so an adult Danny teams up with a cat that can sense when people are about to die and uses his psychic powers to comfort people in their dying moments, basically. Wait, the cat does? Or Danny I think, does? He, I think the, he works with the cat. So, so the cat goes, when somebody's about to die, and then it goes, where? I think this may be why there's never this has never been an option for a movie. Okay. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe maybe the synopsis doesn't do it justice. So readers, let us know. Is this a worthwhile book? Right. But anyway, so that's... That's the just... thing I've heard with Stephen King is that he he will write anything. So sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's absolute shit. Mm. I've seen some absolute shit from Stephen King. Same, same, same. But I've also seen some of the best things in the world, such as this. Mm. I think Stephen King has great ideas. I'm not a big fan of his writing, but I think he's good at setting up ideas concepts like this is a great concept a guy goes mm-hmm. to a hotel with alcoholism problem and is driven insane i think that's a really great basis for what is a great film mm-hmm. but a lot of the time the payoff isn't great and he goes to quite a crazy places that i don't think really work mm. so i think a lot of the reasons he doesn't like this film are because it deviates too much from his book for me are the reasons the film works because mm. at the end of the book apparently in the maze all the hedges come to life you know the topiary okay and like start terrorizing them and they didn't do that for the film because it would look ridiculous yeah and i think be very sort of harry potter yes i kind of think good call mm. so yeah I, I feel like yeah sometimes stephen king great ideas not great at like the mm. payoff so anyway so that's that's the official sequel um we should get him on here he'd be good i'm sure he's just waiting for our call yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> stevie if you're listening so i had a couple of ideas one thing i thought about was maybe doing it's kind of a comedy called ghost hotel Okay. In which I've mentioned this before, I like whenever there's like an evil villain trapped in a kind of a very singular location, I always find myself thinking, "What are you doing when there's no one around? Mm. <laughs> like, what, what, what's yeah. happening on 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 the, on the off days, on the days between the days when stuff's happening?" So maybe it's before or after Jack Nicholson and his family have been in the hotel, and it's just when the hotel's standing empty over the winter, or even maybe during the the, the peak times when it's open, it's just a hotel, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe it's about the old racist butler Delbert Grady, his name was, mm-hmm. and his wife and daughters. Maybe they don't know they're ghosts. Maybe they think they're still alive. Mm-hmm. You know, the Sixth Sense thing, they don't know they're dead. Mm-hmm. So they just think they're still working at the hotel. And maybe every time the kids piss him off, he like grabs his axe and goes, one of these days, girls, one of these days. And they're like, oh, dad, you're so crazy. <laughs> so that was an idea, maybe. Or maybe making like a Groundhog Day thing where 
there's always kind of a new jack and like the cycle just continues like so. I just thought of a drinking game for this very podcast okay. so listeners if you're listening now and you happen to be in a place where you can drink drink every time John says maybe do I say that a lot <laughs> <laughs> maybe or I feel like I mean, I think I'll say that. <laughs> fine but okay so my main idea is a remake of sorts mm-hmm. and it's called I think it's I think it's called the winning that's the best I can come up with the winning the winning okay maybe we can workshop this title yeah we'll not, see what it's we can not do. the best so it's essentially a remake. The losing. The losing. No, no, no. There's a reason why it's called the win. No, no. Here you are. Okay. Oh, thank you. Very, very big of you. So for like casting wise, because it's going to be quite a straight remake for initially. So okay. Thought, okay. So who can play Jack Nicholson's role? Leonardo DiCaprio. Maybe. See, I've gone with the obvious choice, which is Christian Slater. Who? From Heathers. Which one? JD, the main villain from Heathers, the boyfriend. He's often accused of being a Jack Nicholson impersonator. Ram. Doesn't this cafeteria have a no bags allowed rule? Well, yeah. They seem to have an open door policy for assholes, though, don't they? Yes, I like the idea if it's like a constant reincarnation of the same thing. I like the idea that it's kind of almost an in-joke. Who would be the reincarnation of Jack Nicholson? Of course, mm-hmm. it would be Christian Slater. Yeah. He's going to play Jack Torrance. Mm-hmm. As Wendy, I think, so who can play like a Shelley Duval? Because as you say, she's very histrionic. It's a very like unique style of acting that's not quite typical of how most actors perform. If you don't say Winona Ryder, I'm going to be unhappy. Of course I've said Winona Ryder. (laughs) Winona Ryder is a perfect Shelley Duvall kind of type. Yeah, so Winona Ryder in full Stranger Things. Nobody even close. Yeah, yeah, she really is the new Shelley Duvall, I can say Mm. that. And um, yeah, I don't know who can play Danny, he's a kid. We've established I'm not good at chat. We can age him up and have Will from Stranger Things, maybe, if you want to be really meta about it, but mm. it doesn't really matter. Yeah. He, he doesn't matter to me. So anyway, it's... No, I mean, in this oh, story... Sh- in the, he's not really central to this story. Okay, I don't mean like, like yeah, fuck that kid. Um, <laughs> so yeah, exactly the same setup. So he's a struggling writer, gets offered a job as a caretaker for this hotel that's inexplicably shut all winter. Mm-hmm. Have you ever known a hotel that does that? No, but they gave it a good reason. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's a justification. I think it was built before ski season was a thing. Yeah. Fair, 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 yeah. So, yeah, he's offered this job. His wife is 100% on board. It's like, if this is what you need to do, I'll support you, etc. And his motivation, like in the original film, is that, he, as I say, he's a struggling writer, so he wants to go and live in this hotel in seclusion for six months, five mm-hmm. months, so that he can hopefully get out of his writer's block and finish a novel or something. Uh, so uh, it plays out much like the first. The whole family goes up to the hotel, and they're alone for this five months, very isolated. The roads are closed, etc. And we're going to have some 2017 kind of, Updates, obviously, because we're setting it in the modern day. Mm-hmm. So instead of a typewriter, he's now writing on a Mac, which okay. which yeah, obviously gives us our product placement. Oh, yes, lots lots of like House of Cards style, just shots of him behind the Mac with the Apple logo, just really front and center. Yeah. <laughs> so he's writing away on his Mac, working on his manuscript, mm-hmm. and he really feels like he's open to creative gates, and he's making great progress. He's excited about his writing. Is he writing or is he tweeting? Ooh, I didn't think of that. Yeah, he could be tweeting. No, no, no. He's he's writing a novel. He's writing a novel. Okay. But, so are you saying that just because then it's not public knowledge until at some point? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's definitely... Because with Twitter it could be... Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense with Twitter. Maybe just she's not on Twitter. Maybe, yeah. We'll see, we'll see. It's possible, yeah, maybe he's just tweeting loads and, and he's getting his follow account right up and he's very excited. Maybe know. he could be doing one of those Twitter accounts where it's like, is it Christmas yet? Is it Christmas? Yeah. Oh, that could work, yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, you can obviously tell where this is going. Yeah, I didn't think that through. Mine's much more on the basis of him writing a story, but it could mm-hmm. be that. Yeah. Okay, but in my, in my version, he's writing a novel sure, on yeah. a Mac. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously, time passes and things start to go a little bit wrong. 
He starts hearing this weird droning, buzzing sound wherever he goes. His wife starts complaining that the son's behaving oddly and he keeps claiming he's seeing things and she's concerned about his mental health. He starts seeing the phrase red rum just written everywhere and no matter how many times he cleans it off, it comes back, etc. So, you know, it just keeps getting weirder and weirder. Winona's getting more and more hysterical. We get some great Winona Ryder hysterical acting. Mm -hmm. And again, he's um, a recovering alcoholic like the first one. Mm -hmm. So it ends up with him going to the bar one night where he finds that the bar is mysteriously fully stocked and suddenly there's a barman there who only he can see, who's serving him all these drinks and not charging him any money, etc. Mm. And yeah, so he gets really drunk. And then it just, things continue to get weirder and weirder and his alcoholism spirals, etc. And then one day we reach the peak of weirdness when he fires up his Mac. For, you know, he's been working on his book for months. He's written hundreds and hundreds of pages. Mm-hmm. Opens the file. And of course, instead of what he's been writing, it just is hundreds and hundreds of pages of all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I've lost files, like writing files before on mm-hmm. a computer. Oh, so he did actually write a novel. He, so he thinks, you know, it's, it's mysterious. Instead of her discovering it, it's like, you don't know. Like, was he always just writing that? Or is the, has the file been corrupted? What's, okay. what's the real deal here? It's unclear. It's mm-hmm. ambiguous. But I was thinking, as, as, as a professional copywriter, I've had times when I've like, written like a whole blog post or a whole mm-hmm. article or something, and then like my computer's crashed or something, and it hasn't also saved, and you lose an entire day's work. Or in this case, months and months of work. And it could send you insane. Like, mm. that is the closest I've come to having a full-on psychological episode. <laughs> the thing is, because you then got to do it again. Yeah, exactly. It's and really it's, hard. It's so difficult, because you're trying to make it the same as it was before, mm. but, like, trying to, trying to make it better, and it's just... Ugh. It's a horrible, horrible mm. situation to be in. Have you ever had somebody do a find and replace prank on you? What's find and replace? Where you do use the find and replace function in whatever you're writing in oh um somebody did one in school that was great we were doing reports so we have to choose a topic and do a report on it and do a presentation the presentation had to be to the whole class well with mine what somebody that they were doing a report on racism in football mm-hmm. which is a very standard one i i find like i think a few people did the same thing okay great imaginations we all had mm-hmm. and right before this guy did his presentation Somebody went in and did a find and replace, which he didn't notice, even though it was in the title of his presentation. Oh, God. And he didn't notice till several slides in that somebody done a find and replace from the word racism to the word poo. <laughs> <laughs> and so he did, he did a good five minutes of poo in football before he noticed. Obviously, the rest of the class noticed and were laughing the whole time through and... The teacher was really up for it. It was great. <laughs> she could see what had happened, and yeah, yeah, like he, he was he was a clever guy, but <laughs> perhaps just not not so observant. Oh, bless him. That, that's so would have been something that would have happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, he's lost all his um, he's lost his manuscript. It all just says all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. So he goes completely insane now. Goes on the rampage, grabs his axe, mm-hmm. attacks his wife and son with the axe. Kills some random black guy who wanders into the hotel. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, again, just like the film. And ends up chasing his son around the maze. Mm-hmm. But this time, unlike the original film, he actually catches up with his son. So oh, right. Danny trips or something. He's on the ground. And mm-hmm. Jack raises his axe into the air. Mm-hmm. And then Danny screams, Daddy, no! I mean, it's very, very dramatic. And then at that last moment, he has a moment of realisation, a moment of humanity. He realises he can't do it. He cannot take an axe to his son's head. Mm-hmm. So he throws the axe down. And he just starts sobbing. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, stage lights go up and a director yells cut. And a completely bewildered Jack realises he's in the middle of a TV show. <laughs> this is the twisty, twisty twist. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, and then the TV host walks on and says, congratulations to the Torrance family. They played a great game and they're walking away with their, please don't kill me daddy, million dollar jackpot. 
So Winona runs in from off stage, uh-huh. hugs the kid. There's a studio audience suddenly, and they're clapping and clapping and cheering. And Jack's just stood there, completely bewildered, completely lost. And he's like, "What? What, what the hell's going on?" And it transpires that the entire winter at the hotel has been a reality television show. <laughs> uh, that Wendy and Danny signed Jack up for without his knowledge. Mm-hmm. And the aim of the game is to live in a hotel that's specifically designed to drive Jack to a state of murderous insanity. <laughs> so everyone who's not Jack is basically an actor. Okay, um, but his wife and child... Are still his wife and child, yeah. his yeah. wife and child, but they're in on it. They're in on it and they've signed up for and it. And they're yeah. acting. Yeah. And his son... Like, is this a real axe? I've thought of that. We're going to get to that. Okay, okay. So, so the aim of the game for Wendy and Danny is to keep up the facade for the entire winter, mm-hmm. not break character, mm-hmm. without being murdered. And when Dad eventually does go on the axe <laughs> murder rampage that the whole show is building up towards... They have to either escape him or convince mm-hmm. him not to kill them. Okay. So that's how Danny wins, because he manages to, in the last moment, convince him not, convince to, him not to kill yeah. him. Okay, so, do you say million dollar prize? Million dollar prize. Would yeah. you do this for a million dollars? I'd do it for ten grand. <laughs> but what, almost get your dad to murder you? I think I could outrun him. He's 60. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Does uh, he listen? No, he doesn't listen <laughs> So yeah, but it's the idea that this is this horrific, yet not too far removed from reality, kind of reality TV show, mm-hmm. in which it's the idea is to prove, does your dad love you enough not to murder you with an axe? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'd watch that. Yeah, exactly. You would. You'd feel bad about it, but you'd totally tune in. Like, yeah. Like for music or MTV. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's one of those. So if they succeed, they win a million dollars. If they lose, they lose everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell me about this axe then. Okay. So that obviously, Jack's slowly having some comprehension of what's going on. But obviously he's, he's traumatised. So he's like, but, but I killed a man. Like, because he killed, you know, mm-hmm. Scatman Crivers. Oh, yeah. O'Hallorahan. So the actor who plays O'Hallorahan walks out alive and well and picks up the axe, which is now revealed to be made of styrofoam. <laughs> but the weight of it? And... I don't know. Maybe it's weighted styrofoam. Maybe, okay. he's, he's, maybe he's like wearing a blood pack and some body armour around his chest. So right, like, yeah, yeah. Maybe he's like, good for you, didn't hit me on the head. <laughs> or something, I don't know. <laughs> And Wendy's like, congratulations, you did it, honey. You didn't murder us, and now we're millionaires, and we're famous. And the host's like, smile for the cameras, Mr. Torrance. So we get the credits rolling, and he's just stood there, and he's just crying, a completely broken man, but he's also trying to smile. And it's just horrifying. And that's the end. Any questions? Um, I feel like this is kind of like a continuation of your Truman Show it's a, little bit, it's a little bit Truman Show, also mixed in. It was kind of inspired by an episode of Black Mirror. Oh, God, yeah, of course. The one where the woman who was a child murderer yeah. was then placed into the scenario where she has to like, relive that horrifying day. Because it did feel like the hotel, everything was set up to drive this person to insanity. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, all the ghosts and all, all the disturbing figures are, you know, plying him with alcohol, and which also is very common on reality TV. On Big Brother, they always make sure there's loads of alcohol so that all the contestants will get drunk and be mm. absolutely with each other or fight. Yeah. That's classic reality TV show manipulation. I'd love to go on Big Brother. You've said this before. Have I? You're better than this. Um, oh, it'd be so much I'd love fun. To, I would love to watch you on Big Brother. But yeah. You, you, I feel like I'd be the perfect housemate because I already am. Everyone thinks like, that. Like right now, I'm, <laughs> I'm the best. <laughs> you'd be evicted first. But yeah, and it's the sense that everything's built around trying to drive this guy to insanity. It, obviously, the wife was quite irritating and so was, was kneeling at him. Mm-hmm. The son was having all kinds of problems. He was being accused of abusing his son, which obviously drove him more despair. In my version, well, he actually loses the book, obviously, rather than him writing just nonsense from the beginning. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, it just a sense that I could see it being a very Black Mirror-ish kind of reality TV, dark kind of thing. And yeah, so that's my idea. <sighs> well, again, you've <laughs> given me a lot to live up to. <laughs> I'm, I believe in you. I'm sure you can do it. <laughs> okay well 
So mine is a sequel, but it's not technically a sequel to this film. Okay. So I called it The Sliming. The Sliming? Is this a Ghostbusters thing? Yes, it is. Okay, continue. You picked that up very quickly. The Slimer. <laughs> we can edit that out. We can pretend it's a surprise. No, 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 no. There's no twist. Nor is there. Yeah, so due to a little bit of unpopularity, the team have disbanded a bit. In this is the team of Ghostbusters. The team of, yeah, the female Ghostbusters from last year. Okay. Um, so Kate McKinnon, Leslie Jones, Kristen Wiig, and Melissa McCarthy have well done. disbanded. Disbanded. Yes. Okay. A little bit, in that Kate McKinnon has gone off to do her own thing. Okay. But are they still, it's the characters, not the actors, right? Yeah. Okay, right, I get it. Cool. But I'm going to refer to them by the, the acting names. Yeah, of course, of course, of course, of course. Forgettable yeah. names. Yeah. So, Kristen, Melissa, and Leslie are still trying desperately to get this Ghostbusters gig off the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, they had that one break in New York last year yeah. that worked out pretty well for them, but, I mean, the city took some damage. It did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they're trying desperately to get this thing working. And so they're going tracing ghost stories. Okay. Which they've decided, well, how about to chase ghost stories than by going around haunted hotels? Of course. Because, in my experience, every hotel is haunted. Yeah, this or is... A- Every hotel thinks it's haunted. Mm. That was a question I was going to ask, actually. Have you ever seen a film about a hotel in which things went well? <laughs> Where's the story there? I know, I know, I know. But it's like, yeah, hotels are always things where <laughs> bad things happen. They're never a good place in any kind of film. Like, yeah, that's true. It's true. So many horror movies set in hotels. Well, let's see what we can list off here. So, yeah. first off, they go to the Bates Motel. Ah, okay. I see what you're doing. Yeah. Turns out it's not haunted. It's just a psycho. So there's nothing they can do to stop that situation. It's just some crazy guy. Yeah, with... whatever gender issues they then go to the they, they go to Cornwall they go to the Headland Hotel which is the witches ah okay another crossover somewhat haunted somewhat haunted by who just, just dead witches or witches and people okay they then go to the Juve Landscape Hotel which is from Ex Machina have you seen that not yet no ah oh, well that's, this joke was not going to land but just another psycho there okay um, <laughs> thanks <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> the best exotic marigold hotel De- oh. Definitely haunted. Oh. Loads of dead old people. <laughs> I suppose that's kind of positive hotel film, I guess. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Grand Budapest Hotel. There's another one for you. Not seen it, but I don't know if anything bad happens there. I don't really remember it that well. Hmm. Let's watch that again on the yeah. list. Okay. The Chateau Marmont from uh, La La Land. Oh, not haunted. Not even good. <laughs> Just full of jazz wine because yeah. it was even worse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Beverly Wiltshire from Pretty Woman. Oh, okay. Lots of prostitutes there now. Still not haunted. No dead prostitutes, just living ones. Just okay. living ones. They're all, they're all fine. Okay. They're all great. Great necklaces. Yeah. Finally, they go to this hotel in Oregon. What was this hotel called, by the way? Was it the Overlook? And I thought it was in Colorado, not Oregon. Well, the actual hotel in real life is in... Is in Oregon, okay. Yeah, right. so I just assume that's where it was. Okay. Yeah, so they go to this hotel called the Overlook Hotel, I guess. Okay. Um, which they've heard rumours about it's going on in the off-season. Okay, yeah. And so they book a room at the end of October in the hopes to find evidence of any kind of supernatural activity and then say, hey, we're Ghostbusters, we'll stick around for the off-season. Sure, why not? Because now it's currently through the winter, the manager stays there along with loads of other hotel staff. They so, don't trust to leave it to one family anymore? No, they don't just leave it to one dysfunctioning family. No. They, they think, let's, let's put some real people here. Yeah, fool me twice. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a problem here. We should... Uh, hmm. So, uh, yeah, they arrive in their hearse. Um, four of them get out. They've kept Chris Hemsworth, Kevin. Cool. And they kept him along for the ride because uh, he's he's a good bit of eye candy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, but he's been acting weird for a bit of days. He seems to have this, like, imaginary friend or something. <laughs> I need you to help me with a name. For the friend or for... For, for the friend. Oh, okay. 
So it's what's this, what, what's Chris Hemsworth's name? Is it? Did you say it was Kevin? Kevin, yeah. Okay, maybe he has like Liam and Luke. <laughs> I like it. Okay, yeah. So Chris Hemsworth has two imaginary friends, Liam and Luke, who live in his films or something. I reckon they probably look like, live in his ears. There's two of them, so like. Okay, maybe. I was yeah. thinking of his films that go like a fun wall. <laughs> oh yeah, better, better. Okay, Liam and Luke both live in his thumbs. Yeah. For listeners who don't realise, Chris Hemsworth has two brothers, Liam and Luke. Yes. Who are less famous. Well, Chris is okay. Luke's kind of on the bottom of the rung. I'd imagine it goes like Chris, Luke, Liam. No, Chris, Liam, Luke, surely. Liam Hemsworth, people have heard of it. Put it oh, heard oh, sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, I yeah. meant Chris, Liam, Luke. Yeah. They're, they're interchangeable. They are very interchangeable. But one of them's been in Hunger Games, the other hasn't, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chris is the only one who's done like multiple interesting things, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Multiple successful things. Successful things, things yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they get shown to their rooms, and when the hostel staff offer to take their bags upstairs, they say, oh, it's fine, Kevin will do it. He's in charge of all the bags and the equipment. They turn to him, and he's looking there, looking very... Very confused, but very happy at the same time. Okay. This classic look. Yeah. yeah. What bags? And Melissa McCarthy says, Kevin, please tell me you packed the equipment. Uh, n- no, uh, Luke and Liam told me that we didn't need it. Can I request an Australian accent? Please? No. Well, you keep doing this. Pretty much all the script there is. It's done. Okay, fine. fine. Can you do an Australian accent? Of course I can, matey. Oh God! That, there was no accent there. It was just language. I just said, I just said matey at the end. Also, they don't say matey. No, I don't know where that came from. Um, oh, can I? What, what's a good Australian phrase? You're terrible, Muriel. <laughs> Still not good. Can no, I? it's not good. At least I'm trying. You know, I'm, I'm, g'day, mate. Get it. There you go. That's that, that was convincing. That's the only phrase that there is that anybody does. Anyway, continue with your story. Fine. We're overrunning. So they're stuck there with very few bags and no equipment. So. For this little event that they're on, they have to go back to basics. Okay. They have to get very creative with whatever they can find, which, spoiler alert, is not very much. Mm-hmm. I imagine Kate McKinnon would have fun looking, though. Yeah. In that original film, she seemed like she liked to be crazy and creative. Stuff. Well, Kate McKinnon says that, well, if we can't do this, then I'm going to take the time and I'm going to spend some time writing my book. Okay. Well, uh, in the meantime, uh, Leslie and Melissa go and start exploring the maze and stuff like that, and try and learn about everything that's around the hotel and stuff. Okay. After a few days, though, stuff starts going wrong and the hotel staff are clearly looking quite scared. Mm-hmm. Although they're all ready to pack up and leave in like a week. But everybody's on edge and there's definitely sort of an atmosphere to the hotel. Okay. Like something's going wrong. And so Melissa McCarthy goes up to the hotel manager and says, look, is stuff happening here? Like I've been noticing a few things. Like the waiters keep dropping things all the time. And like I could swear that my room door was open today and there was nobody in it. And the hotel manager says, no, no, there's... There's nothing to worry about. It's, everything's fine. Get back to it. And then Melissa McCarthy says, look, with an organisation, we're called the Ghostbusters. You might have heard of us from New York last year. <laughs> we were in a moderately successful film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, well, we can we, we can help out if you want. For a fee. And the hotel manager says, yeah, I mean, anything. Like, we don't know what this is. It's been here for decades. People have died. Please help. So... That's what they do, and uh, one week later, it comes to all the staff leaving. Okay. The manager says, take care of my hotel. Mm-hmm. To which Melissa McCarthy says, yeah, yeah, we will, we will. In the meantime, Kristen Wiig and Leslie... Jones. Jones. Leslie Jones are in the background, just like... <laughs> <laughs> They're just looking forward to all the destruction they can do. Okay. Because, well, as in the first Ghostbusters film, they can completely destroy anything and then discharge whatever they want. So that's their plan. The hotel staff leave, leaving behind the three Ghostbusters and Kevin. Wait, went... the three Ghostbusters? Yes. Uh, Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon's not... Oh, did I say her name back? Kate McKinnon's not with the Ghostbusters at this moment. 
Was she still in the hotel writing a book, or was she back in New York writing a book? I got Kate McKinnon and Kristen Wiig mixed up, by the way. Kristen Wiig is there. She's writing her book. Kate McKinnon is the one who's just gone off to do her own thing. Oh, you've written her out? Mm. Oh, okay. I think maybe she could have like a spin-off series. She could, I guess. Uh, interesting choice. Okay, cool. So Kate McKinnon is not in this film. Correct. Fair enough. Okay, cool. So Kristen Wiig is writing a book. Mm-hmm. And Melissa McCarthy and Leslie Jones are just there for the ride. And they're the trio. Yeah. Okay, cool. So they're all left behind. And uh, as the days go by, more and more things keep happening, keep going wrong, sort of haunted house things. And... They start finding different ways to track the ghosts. Like, some of the ghosts can move things a little bit. So if they put lots of balloons and stuff just in the corridors everywhere, they can see where a ghost has travelled, like, through, like, a pathway. Okay. And they see that everybody keeps going to the ballroom. Right, okay. It's the main place where everybody goes. Is there going to be any Room 237 stuff in this? Not planned. Okay. Because I was thinking you could recreate my favourite line from the Ghostbusters movie, uh-huh. which is where Leslie walks up to the room and look, just looks in for a second and goes, nope, whole room full of nightmares. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just thought this was gonna be like a book club play some stevie nicks albums you know because i'm telling you right now if i see two twins from the shining i'm gonna pass out okay yep room full of nightmares not going in there i don't understand how i get wrapped up in this stuff yeah maybe yeah just just have that one bit in that that's the only 237 bit in the whole film maybe she like glimpses just around the door and just sees like a naked old woman coming out of the bathroom. She's like, nope, room for the nightmares. <laughs> no further explanation needed. Like. Well, I was going to say that as these days go by, like more and more things are happening and stuff starts happening to some of the Ghostbusters. So, okay. well, Kristen Wiig, she's just busy writing her book. She's just oblivious of everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. She's never wondered why she keeps running out of paper or why. So she's still using a classic typewriter. Oh yeah, of course. Okay, sure. Whereas the other ones, so uh, Leslie Jones, she's, she's hanging about in the bar. Slowly getting drunker and drunker and drunker, <laughs> but she keeps seeing things. Just like in a mirror, she might see a ghost or something, okay. or walking around a corner. She'll see one briefly, and then if she runs around a corner, it's gone completely. So basically, you've split the Jack Torrance character into three different versions. So mm-hmm. they're each playing out different actions that Jack does in the original film. I like that. Yeah. Cool. And then with Chris Hemsworth as Danny. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, kind of. Like it. Like it. Oh, yeah. And Melissa McCarthy, she's having visions okay. of things like. A lift door opening and then just slime everywhere. Right, okay. Maybe she'll be having visions of sort of like an upside down stranger things kind of Ooh, world. Ooh, okay. I have that in Maybe. there too, yeah. Yeah. Let's see, like, see that working, yeah. Didn't see that way sort of flickering between the two. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, all three of them, or all four of them, including Kevin, they're all experiencing different hauntings on their, okay. in, in their own different ways. I see. But there's nothing they can do because they don't have their kit. They can track where these ghosts are moving to. They can mm-hmm. track that they're all going, let's say, between room 237 and the ballroom. Yeah. But they can't do anything about it. So weeks go by, months go by, and they're all getting more and more insane. <laughs> and everybody's crazy. They've mm. lost contact with the outside world ages ago. Yeah. So they've only got themselves to talk to. And of course, Luke and Liam. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see Chris Hemsworth doing voices for his yeah. brothers. <laughs> <laughs> so after all these months of craziness and the bar running dry, Leslie goes on a rampage. Okay. To which she first takes on Kevin. Is this like an axe-wielding rampage? Like, Probably, yeah. Okay, so like, here's Leslie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Perhaps she chops off his thumbs. Oh, okay. Oh, God. Gruesome. Mm. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I imagine he's just walking around with his thumbs held up like oh, this. That'd be really funny, yeah? No! <laughs> no! <laughs> no! Yeah. My brothers! <laughs> that'd be really yeah. good. I like that a lot, yeah. Yeah, okay. To which Kristen Wiig steps in and tries to stop this from happening. I mean, he, he's lost his thumbs already, but... <laughs> Um, and then Leslie starts taking it out on her, just like, what is, th- what, what, are you, what have you been doing? We've been, like, months here, like, trying to work stuff out, and nothing's happened. And this is the 
the worst time of my life and you've been sitting there writing your book. What's your book even about? <laughs> she walks up to the desk and she grabs just one of these pages and she sees that it's just hardcore ghost porn. Ghost porn, okay. <laughs> she just gets out more pages and more and more and they're getting weirder and weirder and weirder and there's all kinds of shit going on there. And she's like, does, does a teenage boy have sex with a zombie? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Small callback there. Uh, <laughs> I'm never letting that go. <laughs> to which Leslie goes, nope, that's a whole lot of crazy right there. I am out. <laughs> and uh, the rest of them join in. All four of them, they all leave the hotel at that point, just like, okay. this is ridiculous. We can't do a thing. Nothing's happening. So they all march out the front door, and there's a blizzard going on. And they walk for a couple of minutes, and they're all just absolutely freezing because. Oh, I meant to say, uh, Melissa McCarthy, who's having visions or something, she's torn out of her hair in madness. She's bald now. Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> What's that a reference to? <laughs> no idea. I thought it'd be funny. Okay, sure, yeah. <laughs> I can see it. You want Melissa McCarthy in a bald wig? Yeah. A bald wig? A bald cap, yeah. <laughs> I can see it. Yeah. And so they start getting quite close to death because it's midwinter, it's mm-hmm. probably minus 20 or something, and they're just freezing in the snow, and they're all huddled around each other, trying to keep warm. But it's looking very grim. Mm-hmm. We're all led to believe that they're about to die. And then they hear the buzzing of a vehicle. And suddenly over the hill, they watch Kate McKinnon roll over oh, in a snow tank. <clears throat> the trailer behind, carrying all their equipment. She skids to a halt right in front of them, says, miss me. They all cheer. They all go back to the hotel. They warm up a bit. Um, and they start asking, so where have you been? We haven't seen you in over a year. What's What's been going on? And so then she starts telling a story to which we get a montage of Kate McKinnon absolutely kicking ass okay. just doing the Ghostbusters thing by herself all the time they've been wasting running around being crazy in this hotel she's yeah. just been living her best life yeah love it love it <laughs> and then she says well right are we are we here to tell stories are we here to kick ass so they get all the equipment put it on and with the energy they've got from just from Kate McKenna coming back and just being like yeah we can do this they just put all their insanity to one side and they march into the ballroom put on these goggles these ghost goggles like night goggles sort of mm-hmm. thing Suddenly they can see everything and they absolutely rip the shit out of everyone. They capture all the ghosts. They pretty much destroy the entire interior of that room. They then go all around the hotel doing this. So the little girls, the old racist butler, the guy getting a blowjob from the dog. Everybody. They're all just like sucked into the ghost mm-hmm. trap thing. Yeah, they're trap. all sucked into these traps. Great. And then our five heroes now. Yeah. Well, four heroes. Four, four heroes and poor Kevin. Yeah. Who's got his- Presumably has his hands bound in, like... <laughs> yeah. Um, his bloodied stumps. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, our, our, our four heroes and Kevin, they all go outside and they look at the hotel and just say, well, at least it's still standing. And Kevin goes, yeah, I'm pretty sure a refurb would uh, get that thing back on its feet. And then he watches the hotel just crumbles <laughs> in on itself completely and then blows up. And they all look at each other and just go, ah, shit. So it implodes and explodes. Yeah. <laughs> No explanation for that. That's just like the evil has... Yeah. The evil was holding it up. Fair enough, yeah. Classic. That's it. Cool. I can really see that. I would genuinely watch that, I think. I mean, that would be a really good Ghostbusters sequel, actually. Good. Um, yeah, like, that came up better than I, than I expected. It's yeah, no, that was a really good one. I'm happy. <laughs> cool. I don't have any questions. Uh, so, unless you have anything else, do we get to some listener submissions? Of course. Great. Okay. We had loads this week because everyone's seen this film. <laughs> everyone's seen this film. Apart from me. Apart from you. Well, now you have, so yeah. now you yeah. So, Easy Rider Raging Podcast, at ERR Podcast, wants to do something based on kind of the behind-the-scenes filming of The Shining itself. 
because obviously, as you mentioned, famously, Stanley Kubrick kind of tortured Shelley Duvall and treated her very badly, and there was a lot of tension on the set. Thinking about it, if they had to do that scene over 300 times or whatever it was, mm-hmm. what about everybody else? Actually, it wasn't just her, because, like, Jack Luxon's in that scene. Yeah, I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know if he was, like, off-camera for a lot of it, so I know that she was treated the worst, and also claims to have been treated the worst mm-hmm. by far. I think Jack maybe had a double a lot of the time. Like, cause I think it was a lot of the shots that were just her. That he from, did. from behind him. Yeah, 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 yeah. She definitely seemed like she got the worst of it. I think either Stanley Kubrick was pushing her because he wanted her to be at this level of mania mm-hmm. or just wasn't happy with the performance she was giving or something. But yeah. Was, uh, yeah. So anyway, so it's based on that. So in this film, apparently, it's a twist where it turns out the whole cast and crew, except Jack Nicholson, are actually possessed by ghosts and are on a murderous rampage and they start chasing him through the set. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not a million miles away from my idea, I guess. So it builds up to basically a complete reversal where he's locked in the bathroom and Shelley Duval has the axe and breaks through. Just want to point out that is very different from your idea. It is very different from mine, <laughs> so I'm not taking credit, yeah. Yes, yeah, so ends with Shelley, Shelley Duval's character, Wendy, smashing through the door and, I don't know, here is Shelley. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, gets to him. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. Very good, yeah. Blokebusters, at Blokebusters. Uh, the Shining 2, As the Cuckoo Flies. Um, mm, I can see where this is going. Yeah, basically it's a one full of the cuckoo's nest shining crossover. Uh-huh. So in this version, Danny is all grown up, mm-hmm. and the trauma of the first film has never left him. So he doesn't really know what to do with himself, and eventually he decides to have himself committed to a mental facility because he's obviously still seeing people. He's still talking to the boy that lives in his mouth, or whatever it is. Yeah. But he doesn't want anyone to know who he is but since the events of the first films obviously made the papers. This mm-hmm. crazy man goes on a murderous rampage and dies. So he assumes a new name, which is Billy. And everything calms down for a while. I mean, I guess he stays in the mental health facility for a while and gets on the road to recovery. And he's almost ready to check himself out when a new inmate walks in called McMurphy, who's obviously going to be a dead ringer for his father. Mm-hmm. So maybe Christian Slater can play him. Oh, yeah. Jack Nicholson is 18, probably is too old. So then we essentially we just see the events of One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest replayed from the character of Billy, who is a character in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. He's mm-hmm. the one who kills himself. Through oh. um, his point of view, and then the eventual suicide does play out, in which Billy slash Danny does unfortunately commit suicide. And then we just hear Jack's haunting laughter as the screen fades to black. So mm. it's dark. But yeah. Poor Billy. Poor Billy. Yeah. I'm really sad. Mm. Oh, that was a bummer. Thanks, Blockbusters. Uh, <laughs> false Starts at False Starts Pod. Theirs is called The Shining 2. Shining Gear. And, uh, Sorry, shi- Shining Gear. The Shining 2, Shining Gear. Okay. Not, not a word, but we'll go with it. Basically, this is the entire original movie was one of Danny's shines. So it's a vision in his own head. Oh, yeah. It doesn't really happen. And that includes the shines within that shining. Mm-hmm. This is getting very deep, yeah. Shineception? Shineception, I don't know, yeah. So essentially the sequel is to the first movie played out again, but this time Danny is trying to change things. I guess maybe he had this experience before. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's all in his own head, but it's like a recurring nightmare or something, I mm-hmm. guess. And so he always tries to somehow change the narrative to make it end differently, but... Apparently Judgment Day always comes and maybe it's him trying to save his dad, but he never can. Mm. It always ends with his dad trying to kill him and freeze him to death. So yeah. that's that idea. Geeky Brummy at Geeky Brummy. Their version is The Twining. <laughs> and okay. in this version, Danny moves to the UK to sell tea and uses his telepathy to flog <laughs> overpriced Lapsang Sushong to US tourists. <laughs> Very good. One good thing at OG Teapot. There's is The Shindig. Um, <laughs> Danny's 18th birthday is going to pop off. The problem is most of the guests already have popped off. They're dead. <laughs> so can Danny navigate this awkward social maze of an undead party and survive to see his 19th birthday? So yeah, I guess the idea of that is that Danny throws a birthday party, but because he's supernatural, all the guests are recently dead ghosts, maybe the twins, etc. Mm-hmm. crash the party. And it's like a teen horror comedy, I guess. Very good. Think outside the box set at TOTBS podcast. 
There's references, as I mentioned before, the original ending of the book in which the topiary, the hedge animals, come to life mm-hmm. and start chasing and killing people. So they suggested a DreamWorks-style animated movie with lots of booty-shaking dance scenes and pop culture referencing. The main characters are all hedges, basically. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's that variant topia film? What's it? Something topia? Kidtopia? Zootopia. Zootopia. I guess it's like Zootopia but with hedges, mm. but with also a little bit of mauling going on because it's mm-hmm. still evil. So, okay, yeah. Very good. Yeah, that would be good, actually. Mm-hmm. Ono Lit Class, at Ono Lit Class Pod. The Overlook Hotel has been converted into an orphanage filled with adorable, quirky orphan children that unfold Jack's frozen heart and teach him how to love again. I guess this is after he's been frozen to death. Mm. And teach him not to go after people with hatchets anymore. And he bonds with the kids and defends them from all the other hotel demons. And the movie is called Shine On, You Crazy Diamond. <laughs> nice. And finally, my favourite, We Watch Anything, at We Watch Anything. And theirs is called The Sparkling. And this is a musical version. And songs include <laughs> All I See Is Twins, mm-hmm. Amaze Me, Amaze Me, <laughs> All Work and No Song makes Jack a dull boy, and I've Got to Ask You Something. And it's uh, Neil Patrick Harris is Jack, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amy Adams is Wendy, and inevitably Jacob Tremblay, I, the only child actor anybody knows, is uh, Danny. <laughs> and it's directed by Joss Whedon. Okay. So I can see that. I like that a lot. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So those are, those are all our sequel ideas this week. Thanks, guys. Some, some great stuff there. Yeah. Yeah, so if you have any sequel ideas for The Shining that you'd like to see made, let us know. We'll read it on a future episode. We'll be on the box set. Or if you have any ideas for sequels for films we've done in the past, or if there's any films you'd like to hear us do in the future, let us know. We'll be on the box set. You can find us on beyondtheboxset.com. Our podcast is available on all good podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Podbean, Google Play, Pocket FM, anywhere you can find a podcast. If you like what we do, please hit subscribe to hear a new episode every Friday morning. And uh, please consider leaving us a nice review on your chosen platform because it really helps us to find new listeners. You can also get in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, Instagram, any social media network you can think of. We're probably flogging our wares there. Again, it's just search beyond the box set. And yeah. So next week, we've got a guest on. We do. And it is our first returning guest. It is Ross Burton, mm-hmm. who came on for our Good, the Bad and the Ugly episode. A classic. Yeah. Check it and out. So he's going to be kicking off our Christmas season. Mm-hmm. So... Every Friday in December, we're going to release a Christmas-themed episode. Uh, next week, it's going to be It's a Wonderful Life. What a classic. I've already got my Christmas film planned. I'm sure you do too. But uh, wait, start off with a guest and maybe have another one later in the month as well. Yeah, I'm excited. So yeah, join us next week for It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. The classic Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Cool. So we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.